Well, my friends, today as we commemorate the day that our Lord Jesus Christ died for our salvation to save us from sin and death, we join Christians around the entire world and having just prayed with and had a chance to contemplate the John's account of the passion of our Lord, which, by the way, I, I told Libby when she came on board with us uh, last year, I said, I want to sing the pat like, you know, last Easter, I said, I want to sing the pat. I've never been able to do it in a parish. I know at St. Jerome it had been done in the past, but I want to, I want to do it uh, and didn't think about how much work that would entail. Uh, and so I'm so grateful to her and Lizanne. And we definitely didn't count that. Everyone would be singing along. So what a thank you, um, because it's so fitting that we take part in the passion. Because this is not just a historical story. This is our story. This is the story not just of someone else's salvation. This is the story of our salvation. That the passion of Jesus, the death of Jesus, is for each and every one of us. It's my salvation. Jesus died for me, out of love, for me, personally. It's my story. It's your story, every single one of us. And we could consider some of the people involved in the narrative. So we'll start and we'll end with Jesus. So first, Jesus in the garden goes out after his agony, and he's deeply troubled in his prayer, but then he goes out to meet those that are coming to arrest him face to face. He's not going to run away from this. He's going, Jesus is, when you read this and pray with it, Jesus is in the driver's seat the entire time. Even he says to Pilate, the feared governor, right? You would have no power over me if it wasn't given to you from above. You have no power here. Same with the guards that come out with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus asks them, who are you looking for? And when they say, Jesus the Nazarene, he replies, I am. Now again, that's God saying his divine name. I am. And the guards fall down. At the very word of Jesus, they fall down. They have no power. If they think their lanterns, torches, and weapons stand any chance against an utterance of God's divine word, then they're sadly mistaken. Jesus is in charge which means that everything he's doing, he's doing willingly. That he's intending to suffer all of this for us. I was thinking as well in um, where they, they continue to, to mock him and to spit upon him. And he doesn't, he doesn't flinch. He doesn't, you know, raise a hand to defend himself. No, no, no. Jesus fully embraces all of this out of love for me. And out of love for you. Jesus wants, he drinks this to the full. Again, it's in Matthew's gospel that we heard this past weekend. That they even want to give him a narcotic, right? The wine mixed with gall that they try to give him at the beginning was meant to have a narcotic effect. It was meant to be a, a painkiller. And they want to give him the painkiller. And he refuses to drink it. He doesn't at all. He's going to suffer this fully for us. Jesus is doing this out of love. And then some of the side characters, though, they're not acting out of love. And we see what human brokenness can do, and we can consider it in three people. Peter, Pilate, and the chief priests. So first, Peter, right? Peter, who is the rock. Peter's the rock on which Jesus founded his church. Peter, who earlier that night said, 
even if I have to go to jail and die, I will not deny you. Peter, first of all, tries to resort to violence. After getting a good nap in the garden, Jesus says, stay here and pray, and Peter decides he's going to take a nap instead. And then, maybe half awake, what's going on? They're here to arrest Jesus. Let me take out my sword, because I'm really good at that, right? And he's wildly swinging it and ends up cutting off the high priest servant's ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Uh, cuts off his ear, right? You got to be aiming for someone's head to reach their ear, right? Peter is, is wild. He's ridiculous. He has no idea what he's doing. And this is the rock on which Jesus founded the church. And then, even more, right? Um, Peter is let into the high priest's courtyard. And the maid, right? The maid, who, a little girl. Right? A little girl comes to big, strong Peter and says, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter, terrified of the little girl, says, no, no, no. Like, no, that's not right. It's not like when a big, burly soldier comes and like, hey, are you a disciple? Like, no, it's a little girl asking him, are, you're, one of, you're a disciple too, aren't you? No, I'm not. No, no, I can't possibly be. Terrified. Peter, it's actually beautiful when, you know, we do the parts, the recitation in parts, the first solo part of Jesus is to say, or well, who are you looking for? And then the second is, I am. And the first solo part of the person reading the voice is Peter's response, I am not. I am. Jesus, I am. We're made to be in the likeness of God. And what does sin do? What does denial of Christ do? It's completely opposed to being in the image of God. Jesus says, I am. Peter says, I am not. I am not. And that's what our sins do. When we sin, when we deny Jesus with our actions, we are proclaiming aloud, I am not. I'm not. I'm not a son of God. I'm not a daughter of God. I'm not a friend of Jesus. I don't know him. I'm not a disciple. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. But Peter is not beyond salvation when he realizes what happens. When he hears the cock crow, he goes and he weeps bitterly. He weeps bitterly because he realizes what he's done, which for us can be the first glimmer of resurrection, that Peter will be redeemed. Peter, who denies Christ three times, will have to confess his love for Christ three times on the beach in that third resurrection appearance. They have to, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Three times to make up for his threefold denial. And so we too, if in our actions we've ever denied Christ, it's not too late. We can be offered redemption as well. But sin has to be wept for. We have to repent and grieve over our sins, and then we can be redeemed. Then we have Pilate, the civil authorities. Pilate stands. He is the authority of Roman civilization. And Pilate is afraid of the mob. And he is going to just go with the crowd. Forget about upholding justice. He knows. He knows that Jesus is innocent. There's no charge. And he's trying to release him. And instead of having the courage as a civil leader to stand up for what he knows is right, even though the mob is opposed, Pilate caves. We're going to just go with what 
the crowd shouting louder and louder. In a little while in our solemn intercessions, we're going to pray for those in civil authority. And we don't want our civil leaders to just follow the mob rule, to just the loud cries, even when they may know that it's wrong, to just go with what's convenient in our democratic nation, to just go with what's going to get us reelected. No, we want our civil authorities to stand up for truth, for life, for justice, and even Pilate, how wayward he is. When Jesus says, everyone that listens to the truth hears my voice, and Pilate, the model of a civil servant who's lost his way, says, what is truth? What is truth? How can we govern if we don't know what's true, and if we don't know what's good? And so when we, maybe, when we in our democratic nation, in our politicized nation, can become frustrated with that, we need to pray. We need to pray that those in positions of governance may see the truth and stand up for the truth, even when it's going to be unpopular, even when it may cost them their jobs. Heck, this could have cost Pilate his life. But instead of just going with the crowd, he here passes the buck. He washes his hands. And it's the total failure of natural government that, again, Jesus is in the driver's seat, but it fails around him. And not only the civil authorities, but the religious authorities fail. The chief priests and the scribes, this is their God. God is standing before his high priest and all of his priests and the Pharisees, the teachers. God himself is standing in front of them. They're the, he's the one that they've been offering sacrifices to. And how do they end the day trying to put him to death? What do they say? Pilate says, take him away. They cry out, take him away, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate mockingly asks, shall I crucify your king? And how tragic is it that the religious leaders, God's own Jewish people, that he hand-prepared for millennia, say, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. And when our religious authorities, when our religious leaders decide that political favor and worldly power and worldly fame is more important than the gospel to which they've pledged their lives, that is just as tragic as the high priest saying, we have no king but Caesar. That's all. It's just worldly aims. And so we need to pray as well for our religious leaders, that they recognize that God is the king of Israel. Jesus is the king of the Jews. Jesus is our king. We have right here in our church, Christ, Redeemer, King. Jesus is our King. And each one of us should say in our own hearts, when we hear these words, we have no King but Caesar. We say, I want Christ to reign. I want Jesus to reign in my life. All hail Christ the King. Because ultimately, all authority comes from God and is meant to lead others back to God. And so... We need to say, we want Christ to reign. We want Christ to reign in our own hearts, in our own lives.
And so finally we return to Jesus, who's been betrayed by his friend. He's been denied by his other friend, Peter the Rock. The civil authorities have failed him, and his own religious leaders have turned their back and denied him. We have no king but Caesar. And Jesus freely embraces this for us, for me and for you, for every one of us. And Jesus gives it to the full, to the point that it is finished, it's consummated to its full. Everything is fulfilled as Jesus dies for our salvation. And those words, I thirst, I thirst. Jesus is still thirsting today. He's thirsting for me and he's thirsting for you. Every one of us, Jesus in the midst of all of this is calling us to himself. I thirst, I thirst for your love. I thirst for your heart. Jesus is thirsty for me. How much have I given myself to him? And so today we ask our Lord, we should go to him. We should adore Christ crucified for our salvation and we should turn to him. Fill that thirst of Jesus with our love. He wants my love. And so, Jesus, we come to you today and we always come with our mother. Behold your mother. Son, behold your mother. Each and every one of us was given to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Jesus himself gives us to Mary as the mother of the church. And so let's ask our mother to walk the rest of this Good Friday with us in every day so we may not fail Jesus, but that we may know his love, his love thirsting for us, and the redemption that he won for us by his passion upon the wood of the Most Holy Cross.